Hello, and welcome to episode 36 and 2020's final episode of Text Mom. We have our host and friendly membership team here today. Hey, Brad. Why, hello there. Hello, Caitlin. What is up? Well, you know, just membership chilling. Just membership killing. Well, not killing a <laughs> <Yes>. hoe. <laughs> anyway, this is Alex. <laughs> <laughs> so this month we're hitting you with a 2021 forecast for our friends on Capitol Hill, a Hillcast, if you will. We're sitting down with friend of the pod and executive director Chelsea Thomas to talk through the general legislative priorities of the 117th Congress, our own policy priorities, and how these policy proposals will shake out with final races that need to be called as well as the incoming Biden administration. We'll be talking everything from privacy and security to COVID-19 and everything in between. But before we get into that, we're going to hit tech history and run through some DC headlines. December 1st, 1971, 49 years ago today, Project Gutenberg launched. Michael Hart, founder of Project Gutenberg and, quote, father of ebooks, began his journey by being given an operator's account on a mainframe at the University of Illinois. Through his time tinkering on his computer, Hart began to envision a time when there would be millions of connected computers and typed the Declaration of Independence. Fun fact, he did this all in uppercase because there were no lower cases available. His idea was that everybody who had access to a computer could have a copy of the text. Decades later, his copy of the Declaration of Independence, with lower cases added, is still available to anyone anywhere along with thousands of other titles. And that's all for tech history. That sound means it's time for What's Brewing in D.C. Caitlin and Brad, what are the top tech headlines? Kicking off What's Brewing with what is likely our final presidential election update, earlier this week, the Electoral College formally elected President-elect Joe Biden and Vice President-elect Kamala Harris as the President and Vice President of the United States. Since this action, a slew of Republican Congress people have come out to publicly recognize the President-elect, including current Senate, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell who was holding off on recognizing the Biden-Harris victory over unsubstantiated voter fraud claims. On January 6, 2021, Congress will convene a joint session for a final count of the Electoral College ballots and confirm the election results, and President-elect Joe Biden will assume office on January 20, 2021. Speaking of Congress, we have a bill to talk about. In order to avoid another government shutdown, Congress is hoping to pass a $1.4 trillion omnibus spending deal as we speak. That's right. The text is expected to drop as we're recording this very episode. So we don't know the ins and outs, but here's what we do know. This rush to the finish line comes after Congress pushed the funding deadline back by one week to hash out pandemic response and 2021 funding for various federal agencies. Speaker Nancy Pelosi told Treasury Secretary Steven Mnuchin in a call Monday night that the remaining issues could be readily resolved, giving many a cautiously optimistic feeling that the omnibus will pass. The main sticking points between parties are COVID-19 relief that includes direct payments, funding for the border wall, and funding for veterans' health care. Congress will have to act fast. Both the House and Senate must pass this bill this week before leaving D.C. for the holidays at the end of the week. For more on this, head to the show notes. And last week, 46 state attorneys general and the Federal Trade Commission, the FTC, filed lawsuits against Facebook, accusing the social media giant of anti-competitive acquisitions. 
The state's lawsuit alleged that Facebook's acquisition of its competitors, like WhatsApp and Instagram, allowed them to illegally maintain a monopoly and is calling for Facebook to divest. The FTC's lawsuit takes it one step further and aims to create a permanent injunction in court that would prohibit Facebook from imposing anti-competitive conditions on software developers and would require Facebook to seek prior notice as well as approval for future mergers and acquisitions. We'll keep you posted in upcoming episodes of TechSwamp. And we're rounding out what's brewing with another FTC update, this time dealing with privacy. On Monday, the FTC voted to issue orders to nine major internet platforms requiring information about how they handle data for a new study. These orders, which were sent to Amazon, ByteDance, which is the parent company of TikTok, Discord, Facebook, Reddit, Snapchat, Twitter, WhatsApp, and YouTube, don't allege wrongdoing, but are part of an information gathering effort by the FTC. The goal is for the agency to have a better understanding of how these companies collect, use, track, or estimate personal and demographic information, as well as questions around ad content. We'll keep you posted in future episodes of TechSwamp. And that's all for What's Brewing. As we mentioned earlier, we're sitting down with our executive director and friend of the pod, Chelsea Thomas, for a look at what's to come in 2021, legislatively, of course. Hey, Chelsea, thanks for joining us. Oh, hey. Oh, hey. Um, So, Chelsea, before we dive into the heavy-duty policy predictions, let's start with the state of the House and Senate after these elections and why that's really important when considering the legislative agenda of the 117th Congress. Absolutely. Well, first things first, here's the breakdown. In the House, it's democratically controlled with 222 members caucusing with the Dems and 211 members caucusing with the Republicans. And usually when we're talking about caucusing with, we're talking about um, if there are any independents that are also caucusing with the Republicans or the Democrats. There aren't any independents in the upcoming House at this point. So these are 222 Democrats and 211 Republicans. Um, And there is one outstanding race at this point. New York 22 is still outstanding. And in the latest tally, the candidate leading the race was only ahead by 12 votes. Wow. Yeah, that's crazy. Um, The next official action on this race will take place on the 18th. And no matter who takes uh, New York 22, we know that the Democrats will hold control of the House, but at a slightly smaller margin than they did in the 116th Congress. When we're looking at the Senate, um, the control is actually uh, TBD, but it's currently leaning Republican with 50 members caucusing with the Republicans and 48 members caucusing with the Democrats. That includes uh, Senators Angus King of Maine and Bernie Sanders of Vermont, um, who are independents but caucus with the Dems. And in January, there are two races in Georgia. There's a run, two runoff races that will determine Senate control. So if the Democrats... If the Republicans hold the Senate, um, then it will be pretty much uh, similar to what you saw last Congress. 
where you've got a Republican controlled Senate and a Democrat controlled House and uh, legislation will likely move very slowly. Um, Either way, the Senate is going to be preoccupied early on in the term with uh, having hearings on President Biden's nominees and then voting on them. So that's that's what you're going to see. Um, if Democrats take the Senate um, in Georgia, then those nominations may move a little bit more quickly. Um, and then we'll head into a period where, you know, they're going to try to move legislation a little bit more quickly. Um, because then the Senate, the House, and the administration will be held by Democrats. But the margin of 50-50 in the Senate makes it so that not a ton is going to pass at light speed. But good news, we're going to be doing a webinar on the new Congress after the Georgia runoffs. So it's going to be a wild and crazy time and we can fill you in more post runoff. Absolutely. And we'll make sure to uh, retroactively put a link in the show notes for that webinar uh, when we when we create the event right for that. Um, so keep your eyes peeled and check the show notes for those. Um, OK, so let's get into the fun stuff. The policy. Obviously, we have our own policy priorities for this upcoming Congress, as every trade association does. But before we talk about what what we'd like to see Congress do, let's talk about what Congress wants to see Congress do. So what can we expect in 2021? Well, before we dive too deeply into policy, I should probably uh, hit a little bit more on something that happens when a new administration takes over, and that is cabinet nominations. And we'll go into this more during our webinar next year. But just to provide a little bit of groundwork, uh, the Senate is responsible for the cabinet approval process, and these hearings and votes take up some time on the docket. And in most normal times, um, the the cabinet is is pretty well filled. Most cabinet positions are filled by May or June of the following year. So by May or June of 2021, we expect to see most of uh, President Biden's cabinet filled. Um, so that is the nominations process. And, and because the Senate is responsible for that, um, that will take up a good chunk of time right off the bat. Um, but outside of that, I think the big three for this Congress are as follows. First, we remain in a pandemic. So addressing the COVID-19 pandemic is top of mind. Uh, second, we're looking at more conversations around regulation of big tech. This is things like Section 230 and more big tech, big tech antitrust talk. Um, and then third, privacy and encryption. Okay, so let's start with COVID-19. You know, we know that vaccines are getting approved and there's a light at the end of the tunnel in many ways. What what is Congress hoping to do with their COVID-19 response in the new Congress? Well, I think this year Congress really struggled to take care of Americans when it came to COVID-19. We saw some relief when the first stimulus came through with the Paycheck Protection Program or PPP funding and the telehealth provisions uh, were sort of expanded and some of the regulations surrounding those were lifted. But since then, Congress has failed to pass legislation. 
Um, and we're not sure if lame, lame duck Congress will pass a second round of COVID relief, but even if they do, cases continue to rise and businesses continue to struggle. So the next Congress will have a lot of work to do, including economic, extending economic relief to small businesses, including um, our members, um, trying to address the needs of underserved households, um, who include people that need broadband for school or telemedicine and addressing um, some of the issues around unemployment and, and how we can um, turn this into an opportunity to um, provide workforce development that's needed. Um, and finally, you know, we need funding for vaccine distribution. So we'll see how all of that shakes out. Absolutely. And so then I think next up is Congress taking on big tech and sort of the ongoing Section 230 debate. What can we expect there? Well, whether it's investigations at the FTC and DOJ or just your run of the mill congressional hearing, I think it's safe to say that 2020 was the year of antitrust for Congress, among other things, of course. Um, it was such a focus in the swamp that we don't see it going away in 2021. There's definitely an appetite for more antitrust investigations as the FTC continues to square off against Facebook, Google, and other big tech companies. As for Section 230, you could say more of the same. And when people talk about Section 230, it's just shorthand for Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act, which grants broad legal immunity to interactive computer services for user-generated content and the moderation of that content. See why they use shorthand. Um, in 2020, it seemed like everybody wanted to do something to 230. Uh, many Democrats wanted to reform it, and there was a major call to action with members of the Trump-led Republican Party to repeal it. Um, but just because we're seeing a change in leadership doesn't mean that the issue will disappear. Yeah, absolutely. That sounds like it's going to be quite the packed issue over the, the next couple of years. Uh, but I'm going to transition here to the, the final topic that you kind of presented, and that's privacy and encryption. We certainly attempted to call 2020 the year of privacy uh, during this conversation last year and other conversations as well. But the legislative agenda that was created about a year ago did not stand a chance at all against the policy priorities of a global pandemic in COVID-19. Assuming we get that under control, is it safe now to call 2021 the year of privacy? I think we should just call it that, um, <laughs> whether or not it's safe. Um, you know, there was a huge appetite from lawmakers to pass national privacy legislation this year, but nothing made it past the finish line. And as more and more states begin to create a privacy patchwork across the United States in 2021, the urgency for federal standard will grow stronger. Um, similar to this past year, we can expect privacy legislation to be pushed forward by members like Senators Gillibrand and Wicker in the upcoming Congress. Okay, so now we've kind of covered that that first piece. So now on to what we really would like to see the 117th Congress actually accomplish. So what are our our policy priorities aren't too far off from what Congress hopes to tackle, um, starting with the COVID-19 pandemic. So Chelsea, what are we going to be focused on? Well, you're right. Our big three when it comes to policy aren't too different from what Congress has its sights set on. Um, here's where we're putting the emphasis this year. First on digital health. Last episode, Last episode, you guys and Graham discussed the benefits of lifting 1834M when it comes to telehealth, 
So I don't want to go into that too much again, but we're really hoping that Congress, whether it's this Congress or next, will pass legislation like the Telehealth Modernization Act. This letter legislation is bipartisan and it ensures access to telemedicine, giving Medicare participants better quality of care. And it clears up some geographical questions and restrictions around telemedicine. And we're also really going to be continuing to focus our efforts on the Wear It Act, um, because now more than ever, patients must be able to monitor their health from home. And according to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, six in 10 American adults live with at least one chronic condition, including heart disease, diabetes, cancer, and stroke. And we know that these types of chronic conditions put patients at an increased risk of deadly complications when infected with COVID-19. And we have seen studies that show that wearables like the Apple Watch and Fitbit can play a role in noting and tracking COVID-19 symptoms. And we feel that legislation like the Wear It Act makes wearable life-saving technology accessible for more people by allowing HSA and FSA funds to be used to purchase. And second, antitrust uh, remains a huge issue for us. I said it previously when we were discussing congressional priorities, but antitrust investigations were a huge focus this year, um, both in Congress, but then also with uh, DOJ and FTC. And even for ACT, the App Association, we came, um, we took it on the road. We went to see you um, at various uh, cities across the United States. So antitrust is a huge issue and we don't see it going away in 2021. Um, in many ways, uh, online marketplaces and platforms were in the hot seat. We saw multiple hearings in Congress where the CEOs of big tech companies were called in front of Congress to talk about the roles that their companies play in the online marketplace. And we were paying particular uh, attention because of the potential for unintended consequences that regulation can have on our members. Yeah, I absolutely agree with you on that. And I, th I think especially when I'm talking to folks a lot, um, one of the big concerns is, you know, adding large blanket legislation can lead to unintended consequences. And I think our members are um, impacted by that a lot because they just usually don't have the financial resources to put towards massive compliance teams and uh, legal, legal teams, you know, um, to handle a lot of that stuff. Um, something else I wanted to ask you about, too. Um, I know, obviously, we've been talking about all of the, the government action in this space, but there have also been some recent, recent movements in the private sector as well to try to kind of remedy some of the concerns that have been brought forward. Can you uh, talk about any of those? Sure, absolutely. I think, you know, we were really encouraged to see that Apple recently made changes to the App Store fee structure. And obviously the app economy is constantly evolving and any sort of reduced commission for our members allows them to put additional resources towards scaling up and innovating their new products and services. Um, the developer services offered by the app store enable our members to reduce overhead, access global customer base and compete alongside, alongside larger companies. And as long as our members continue to enjoy the same app store benefits as larger developers, the new policy will continue to spur growth and innovation. Absolutely. I feel like um, something that they could put these resources toward is building in some good privacy 
and encryption in their devices. Uh, see what I did there? Um, so with that, let's talk about privacy and encryption. I know that we talked about privacy a little bit more um, at, at the top of the segment when we were talking about what Congress wants to do, but what, what, what do we want to see Congress do here? Well, first of all, I want to reiterate that privacy is not dead. I know that, you know, many times its obituary has been written, but it is not dead. <laughs> There are many outstanding privacy issues that are sure to remain top of mind for policymakers at all levels, at federal, state, local, and international levels, which means they are top of mind for us. We just announced our privacy fellows for the upcoming year, which you can check out by going to the show notes. And we are going to closely follow a whole host of things in the privacy and encryption space. So lawful access to encrypted devices and communications, uh, children's privacy rulemaking at the Federal Trade Commission, um, the implications of CCPA 2.0, which is California's privacy law. Uh, we're going to be looking for further clarification of the European Union's General Data Protection Regulation, or GDPR, and the future of transatlantic data transfers. Um, we're going to be looking at COVID-specific privacy and also facial recognition. And we keep a close eye on privacy issues for a variety of reasons, but one we're seeing as a growing threat to the small and medium-sized companies that make up our membership um, is this patchwork of privacy legislation. So we talked about the California privacy law, but California is not the only state that is um, that is passing laws and regulations in this space. And our members have not just sort of a state-by-state -state consumer base, but it's a global consumer base. And if you are looking at trying to comply with state and local privacy laws, federal privacy laws and international privacy laws, pretty soon you are in a situation where all you're doing all the time is privacy and not focusing your energy on making the best product that you can make. So I think that that's, that's a major um, compliance cost. And I think the thing is that our member companies want to protect privacy. It's not as though they they want to sort of skirt these laws. It's that we need one privacy standard, one federal privacy standard, so that they know what they are what they are called upon to comply with. Those are our top three issues. Uh, but obviously, we continue to work on a whole host of issues that are important to our members, including access to broadband, workforce development protection of intellectual property and all of our ongoing work around standard essential patents. So, you know, we've got a top three, but uh, there's, there's never a dull moment when it comes to policy conversations at ACT. Totally, there's always more to do. Chelsea, thank you so much for joining us to talk through all of these sort of 2021 priorities and thoughts uh, and sort of, uh, it's exciting to look forward to a new year. Absolutely. Well, thank you for having me. It is always, always a treat to be on Dex Womp. It is a delight having you, and we'll see you uh, shortly at Random Identifier. And now it is time for our holiday-themed Random Identifier. Um, this is all things uh, random and all things holiday. <laughs> so, Chelsea, since you are the guest, you can go first. All right. Well, I was giving this some thought along sort of a holiday music theme. And 
what immediately came to mind was when, like, I think it was 2014, Ro and I went to India for Christmas. Um, and we spent Christmas in Goa and we were up in our hotel room and we were just watching like the only English language channel that we came across. And it was like a Christmas holiday concert of like all of these like people in like very festive clothes and they were singing all very sort of Christian Christmas songs and like serenading like baby Jesus and then um they went into their final song which was last christmas and it was amazing and i think that baby jesus would have liked last christmas absolutely it's uh it's a bop um but it was like it was so sincere and so delightful um that it remains one of my favorite holiday memories and i cannot hear last christmas without um seeing that in my brain directing those lyrics uh to baby jesus is really (laughs) an interesting thing to do yeah (laughs) it was i gave you my heart but you gave it away the next day the very next day you just handed it away (laughs) to someone else It was, I, like, it was amazing. It was a truly amazing and wonderful experience. Um, all right. <laughs> Brad, what, what about you? What do you have for us? Sure thing. Well, as probably even our listeners know, but certainly anyone who spent uh, large amounts of time with me knows, I'm rather particular about the music I choose to listen to. Hmm. And uh, Christmas music is not one of those things that I choose to listen to. (laughs) So I'm going to take the opportunity to uh, kind of beef a little bit with uh, Paul McCartney for being one of the best musicians of all time, but writing the absolute worst Christmas song I've ever heard. Um, I would rather do a number of very unpleasant things to myself than endure even one time listening to that song. This is a horrible thing to learn because that is the exact opposite way that Caitlin feels about the song that you are that you are. Yeah, and that's why I'm glad that I kind of got to get my piece out of the way first, just so everyone knows where I stand before Caitlin professes her absolute love for that song. I I appreciate being to like being able to go at this time because Brad, <laughs> you you mentioned that you're really particular about the music that you listen to. And that, that is very true, um, which is why I think it's really funny that you listen to Dave Matthews' band. Oh. But any, No, I'm just kidding. I'm totally kidding. I'm totally kidding. I had to come for you, obviously, because you came for not only my favorite Christmas song, but perhaps my favorite song of all time. I was going to say, this song <laughs> This song has, like, a couple important, like, things for you and, like, for your future. Yeah. And, and for, like my end yeah and my future yeah oh my stars um, so <laughs> i know it's really deep um so i think i was in like third or fourth grade and my family and i we were driving up to pittsburgh uh, my mom and dad and sister and i um which is like a you know four or five hour car ride and um we were listening to some christmas tunes um via uh cd-rom 
Whoa. And um, on one of these CD-ROMs, it was like a like Old Navy, I think, or like Kohl's or like some like random store like made these little CDs of holiday tunes with different things and covers and and classic songs and whatever. So the first time I heard "Simply Having a Wonderful Christmas Time" was when I was in the car at this time, I think, or maybe one of the first times I remember hearing it. And um, you know, holiday time, positive family vibes in the car. And as a child, I requested, after hearing this song, um, to have this song, Simply Having a Wonderful Christmas Time, played at my funeral um, when I when I pass. Um, so, obviously, that was demented. Um, but I stand regardless, by it. Regardless of season? That's what, that was literally exactly what my dad said. He said, Caitlin, what if you don't die at Christmas time? And I said, I don't care crank the tune yeah i kind of agree i i'm all in on this i think it's a great choice and especially unfortunately, i mean I was say, brad you're not invited to the funeral <laughs> that hurts but i was gonna Ouch. say fortunately it will encourage people to cry because of oh, just how terrible it is okay wow. maybe that's secretly why i want it because i want to see people you know devastated <laughs> i think it'll also be something that like people will walk out of your funeral like humming so like mm. it's it's a it's it'll be remembered, you know. Yeah, but there's not going to be a drop of any other Christmas thing at my funeral. Right, it's of course. Just that song. Right. No, I understand. Yeah. Well, I um, <laughs> I am going to add to this Christmas song conversation. Um, we all know that I really love playlists, and I'm so specifically I'm going to start by talking about one song, but then I'm going to say <laughs> that there are a few other songs that people should add to their Christmas song rotation um but so my very favorite christmas song of all time is fairy tale of new york by the pogues uh featuring christy mccall and it's really funny because it is a not really like it's i mean it's totally a christmas song and it was written for christmas to be clear um but it's like insane first of all the pogues are like an irish punk band so like of course you never know what you're gonna get right uh and the lead singer is like a notorious drunk so like the, the song reflects this i would say um and it's like a little bit like some people don't like it because there's some language that is not very nice um which i agree with however um i have been listening to the song probably since i was like two years old um which maybe like we should question my parents there a little bit um but anyway, it's my favorite Christmas song. Um, I am going to suggest that you start a uh, Christmas playlist with that song because it will make you laugh no matter what, and it will put you in a very funny Christmassy mood. Um, I think that you should, everyone should go check out Christmas in the City by Mary J. Blige with Angie Martinez. It is a true classic. Um, it is an R&B Christmas bop that is an original. Um, 10 out of 10 would recommend. Then I think you should go check out Oi to the World, O-I, um, which is basically just Joy to the World, but no doubt kind of changed some of the lyrics. Um, and it's a delight. It's the, it's the pop punk Christmas, uh just perfect song that we all hoped for honestly um and then we're gonna go 90s with eight days of christmas by destiny's child which i yes. think is one of the all-time greats um thank you so Caitlin. glad you said that someone yeah. asked me to change the song when that was on the other day and no. i was like can you not be around me they're wrong that song <laughs> is so important to my youth and my upbringing it's one of my all-time favorite christmas songs of all time uh and 
it's beautiful. And also, like, they all sing on it, which is nice. You don't, you don't always get that in a mm-hmm. Destiny Child song, you know? But you got all three voices <laughs> in this one. Um, and then, last but not least, um, you got to bring it down. It's a little sad, but River by Joni Mitchell, just oh. to kind of, like, get the complete circle. I love um, that. This I think, is my very Are you going to put this Christmas playlist playlist. in the show notes? That was my plan because I couldn't find any articles that talked about Fairy Tale of New York that were positive. <laughs> you know what? <laughs> oh my god. The Irish the Irish Times just put out a history of Fairy Tale of New York and it's delightful. Oh really? So, okay, we have to yeah, include so that we too. Include that. And also did you know that John Bon Jovi just covered Fairy Tale of New York? I didn't, but you know that even though I'm from New Jersey, I can't stand John Bon Jovi. Well, it's wild. It's like, <laughs> it's been panned. Well, that's fair. I, I think that, like, that's one of the songs that I feel like, why bother covering? Also, I'm going to very briefly, um, so, Caitlin, you want a Christmas song played at your funeral. I was mm-hmm. in Ireland in the, like, straight up summertime, like, in July, and I was in a pub, and there was a guy playing live music, and I was like, excuse me, sir, will you please play Fairy Tale of New York for me? No. <laughs> um, and he did it! <laughs> And I got everyone in the bar to dance and sing along. So I clearly won summer. That's so cute. <laughs> yeah, oh true story. Gosh. And I, she'll never listen to this, but I met a girl on that trip and her, I don't remember her name, which I'm glad she's not going to be listening. But anyway, <laughs> she's from Chicago and she and I were just like, we're going to do this. Like we were so committed. And my friend and I who were on the trip, it was like a tour bus thing with like everybody was like under the age of like 35. And, um, and we had done this like pub crawl around Galway. Um, and this is the last bar we were in in Galway. And she and I were like, we just have to do something that like for most people would be embarrassing, but for us would just like not be because we just like didn't care about whether or not we were idiots. Um, and (laughs) most of the people in the bar were locals and they thought that we, well, I would like to believe that they thought that we were delightful, but we got everyone to dance to Fairytale of New York in July. So, um, you know, Christmas really is a feeling is my point, I guess. I think that that is a really inspirational story <laughs> that displays the triumph of the human spirit. I agree. Some people on the team wouldn't like that, but... <laughs> also, the Pogue said that John Bon Jovi ruined Christmas. <laughs> that makes sense. So, that makes sense. Yeah. Well, Do- I bet USPS is really relieved that it's John Bon Jovi. <laughs> Not them. Yikes. <laughs> Just kidding. All right, guys, <laughs> that's it for Tech Swamp. If you heard anything on here that piqued your interest, head over to our website and make your way to the podcast section. We'll have notes on today's episode that include links to all the good stuff. And of course, we want to give a shout out to Brad Goodall, who's composed the podcast Awesome Music. Thank you, Brad. And don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify, and Stitcher. And of course, we would love a rate and review. Five stars only, please. <laughs> that's also, all for today. Mom. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Hi. Hi, Chelsea's mom, Barb. Friend of the pod. Original friend of the par- pod. Um, anyway, that's all for today, folks. Happy holidays. Um, happy end of year. Happy new year. Um, everyone say goodbye. Bye. Bye. Bye.